0: But uh, we made it, we made it, so we're here, now open your Bibles to Ephesians, Daylight Savings, isn't it fun, isn't it exciting, sun comes up like at three in the morning. (laughs) Ephesians 1, I need to remind you, I see a lot of visitors, some new people here, some people who haven't been with us. This is our second month, we've been for two months, let's call it eight weeks, in Ephesians chapter 1, and we've only made it to verse 10, okay? Okay. And I'm going to read to you chapter 1, 1 through 16, those verses again. It's the longest sentence in Greek literature. When Paul wrote it, it was as if he just couldn't stop. It was a run-on sentence. He's looking for a place to land the plane. Up not yet. Oh, not yet. And he's detailing all of the riches and the value and the wealth that we have already in Christ. He's doing this from prison. Not in a very wealthy or valuable place. He's actually incarcerated. And yet he knows that in Christ he can do all things, that in Christ he has access to all things. And he wants his church to not wait for things to get better to be better. How many guys are in that cycle right now? Man, as soon as things get better, I'll stop being bitter. (laughs) It ain't gonna happen. Okay? It's not as a matter of fact, your better is right now. It's in Christ. It's it's to choose to have the attitude of gratitude, to choose to see things as God has already declared them to be, even though you don't understand them right now. And so many of us Christians, if you're a Christian here today, that is, if you've trusted in him, you've looked to him, you've given to him your faith, you're not worried about what's happening next, you have that wealth given to you. And there are so many Christians today that don't act rich, okay? Okay. Almost spiritually to agree, you live like you're on spiritual welfare. Barely getting by, just barely enough, not enough to share for sure, not enough to talk about or to invite anybody into my life. When in reality, Paul would say, No, 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 no. Spiritually, you're actually on top of the world. Spiritually, you actually have been given the wealth of heaven. In Christ right now. So we've been studying this over and over and over. Let's read it again. Read it again. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It's to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. He goes on in verse 2 to say, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had had this riches downloaded to his own account. I need to remind you that Paul learned what he knows, what he shares, by having a relationship with Jesus face-to-face for 13 years in the Arabian desert. Read Galatians chapter two, he talks about it. How did Paul get the wealth of wisdom that he has to share with us? How did Paul know all of these things? How did Paul know God's heart towards you? He spent time with them. He heard from Jesus personally. So much did he hear from Jesus personally that when Paul was ready to be used, Barnabas found him in solitude, and Paul was so potent, so full, so soaked in the grace, kindness of God that God used him then to demonstrate and to disperse the good news to the most and least likely to receive the gospel, you and me, the Gentiles. Like the most unreligious, the most wacky people in the world were the the Gentiles in that day. The most out to lunch, the most confused people of that day were not the Jews. They were very religious. They had things in order. They considered themselves very holy and close to God. Even they needed a savior. But Paul was asked by God to be sent out to the cuckoo for cocoa puffs bunch. The ones who, when they saw cool things happen, said, let's make a God for that, a God for the waves, a God for the clouds, a God for the rain. We don't like that God very much, but let's make him a God anyways, and a God for the wind. Let's just make a God for everything, a God for a sneeze, a God for a cold, a God for a blanket, and they had gods everywhere, totally confused, and so Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And to said, Paul, I need you to go reveal me now to others. They need me desperately. And so Paul had this knowledge given to him, and now he grants it to us in this text and in text that he, he wrote most of the New Testament, okay? most 27 books of the New Testament, 13 are written by the apostle Paul, 14 if you count the book of Hebrews, because he'd spent this time with Jesus. I just need you to get that, as we study this morning, so you would be a person who has confidence in what you believe. <sighs> Let's keep reading. Grace to you and peace, he says in verse 2. And verse 3, said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love, it says in verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I just, I've taught too much on that verse, but I'm going to say it again. Paul was convinced that it was God's kindness, God's creativity, God's relentless love and pursuit to bless him personally with the revelation of heaven. And he wants, he loves you so much. He only ever always wants you to be blessed and to be successful and succeed in the heavenlies. He looks at you and it's as if God can't love you any more than he already does. Before the first service began, I was upstairs in what used to be known as the pastoral offices. And now it's the youth room. And it's where I hide on Sunday mornings and decide if I want to come to church or not. So I was up there making those big decisions and deciding whether I wanted to be here and Noah, my son, my eight year old son, was sitting up there asking questions not pertaining to anything important on my radar and just kind of asking me, you know, superfluous questions and, and peripheral questions. I'm trying to study and figure out what, if God's real and how I can teach it to you guys. And I'm making all these decisions. And I just looked up at Noah. And it dawned on me I couldn't love this kid anymore if I tried. And I just, I see him as a little eight-year-old boy growing up into a man, a young man, asking questions and growing. And I just thought, I just, I want so much for him to be blessed. I want so much for him to be successful. I want so much for him to be kept from harm's way in this world. I want so much for him to just excel in everything and to be the most exuberant, Christ-filled, spirit-filled, joy-filled person in the world. I just, ah! How much more so does does God the Father, do you believe this? Does God the Father look at you? Does Jesus look at you and say, just I love you so much. It's my good pleasure and my will to reveal to you my mysteries. It's my good pleasure and my will to include you in my wealth. It's my good will and pleasure to make you in my image. Everything I am is sharing and caring, and it's for you. Now, so often we get this message confused. We don't look at God this way. As a matter of fact, to realize that God knows all and sees all is kind of scary, isn't it? God knows all and sees all. Why? Well, because he loves you so much that he wants to cover all of your needs. He wants to be there when you blow it. He wants to be there when you need to be bailed out. He wants to be there when you sin. God loves you. So Paul here, who hated Jesus, hated Christians, had come to this realization, and he couldn't stop talking about it. You ever been around that guy that just can't stop talking about their thing? You know what I'm saying? Whatever your thing is, maybe somebody gets involved in one of those health movements, or somebody gets involved in one of those investment movements, or somebody gets involved in one of those hobbies, and you go over to their house, and it's like all over the place, and you're like, oh my goodness, stop talking about that. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Everyone's unfriending me on Facebook right now, because that's all I talk about is Jesus on Facebook. Well, listen, Paul says... He predestined, verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. I just need you to get this. Do you know what kind of revelation it was for the Apostle Paul to conclude that God just stared at him with love? The Apostle Paul was stoic, man. The guy was epic. The guy was so too legit to quit. And then Jesus pushed him off his horse and blinded him and messed with him for three days and he got saved. And he realized it wasn't about his efforts, his expertise, his knowledge, and his repertoire. It was not about that at all. It was about God who is loving. God is the lover. God is kind. And so for Paul to have this revelation, (laughs) to say, guys, we're doing it wrong. We've actually been weighing ourselves and weighing each other. We've actually been comparing. God changes everything. This man, Jesus, changes everything. Keep reading with me. Why does he do this? Verse 6, it's to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. When God loves you, changes you, pays for you, bails you out, it makes him look good, not you. Okay, He's a savior, you're a sinner, and we're both pros, right? I mean, we're both professional. We're real good at it. He's real good at what he does, and you are too. Verse 7. In him, that's a place. This, this, this sentence goes on. It hasn't stopped yet. In our English language, there's abbreviations and pauses and, and grammar, but not in the Greek. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us again, here, here it is, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Verse 10, where we left off last week and we'll pick up this week, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one, listen, all things in Christ. It all makes sense in Jesus. Without Jesus, it doesn't make any sense, okay? Figure it out. You're going to leave here today. You're going to try and make sense of your life, the past, present, and future. And if Christ is not incorporated into your equation, it's not going to make sense. It's going to disappoint you, it's going to elude you, it's going to be mean to you, it's going to miss you, and days will turn into weeks, and weeks will turn into years, and years will turn into regret if Christ isn't supreme. It's just the choice is yours. It's the truth. Whether you like the truth or... Did you realize that if you don't like the truth, it doesn't matter? <laughs> isn't that cool? It doesn't matter. You can't... Why? Well, I, I have an opinion. <laughs> okay. We all got a couple of those. Well... Verse 10 again, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he, that's God, might gather together in one, that's us. All things in Christ, that's him. Both which are in heaven, that's to come, and which are on earth in him. Again, so simple, but so transformational. When we die and go to heaven, it's going to all be about Jesus. I'm totally into that. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I got my ticket, my passport, I'm ready. But he also says on earth, all things are actually in him right now. And there's so many Christians that aren't accessing those riches that aren't doing it right. I'm not saying you're not doing enough. Don't hear that. That's legalism and works-based ethics. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the riches that God's already given to you aren't being explored by you. You're just living your life like a weirdo. The weirdos laughed. I had to repent, honestly, today in in studying last night and getting ready for the text and waking up this morning. I had to repent because my week didn't look, I'm just being honest, my week didn't look like somebody who believes and knows and is having access to these truths. I'm just being honest. Preaching about it is true because it's right here. Sharing with it with you is fun. My week looked very weird, weirdo style, normal, living my life, doing my best, dealing with curveballs, fastballs, pitches. Strikeouts, bunts, stolen bases. Use all the illustrations you want. And I found myself coming to the text again. Oh, oh, Lord, is all this still true? Because I sure didn't live like it. My week was spent below the poverty level spiritually. And I just had to repent. Say, Lord, this is so true. Am I, am I getting this? Are you getting this? Is this life changing? How many guys grew up? Don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. How many guys grew up in a church where church was what you did and. And what you just went through, but there was no transformation in your life. There was no glow. There was no reciprocation. There was no purpose. It's just, oh, I was born this way. The Bible isn't like that. The Bible presents itself to you as a life change truth tool. It changes everything. And if it's not changing something in your life, at least when you get into it, chances are it's not being assimilated properly. And so Paul, for 216 times, that's what I said, 216 times he reminds people, guys, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. Hey, did I mention you're in Christ? Did I tell you about being in Christ yet? Can we talk about being in Christ? You know what I want to talk about? Let's talk about being in Christ. Hey, that reminds me. <laughs> We're in Christ! And he keeps 216 times in his letters to his buddies, to his believers, because just like you and me, we live with this pole. We live with this stuff right in front of us, and we see the media, and we see the news, and we see the inflation, and we see the government, and we hide ourselves so we don't see the government, and we look back, and they're still there, you know? Well, it's crazy. And so Paul says, hey, 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 pay attention. You got bills to pay? Cool. You got a life to live, a spouse to love, a business to run? Right on. Don't leave this behind. Otherwise, you're going to do it wrong. You're going to do it absolutely wrong. You're going to do it the way of the world, the way of the culture, and that's not what he has intended. He's done, he's given you the riches, man. Verse 11, in him, he talks about these riches, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted. Isn't trust a weird word? Do you know what that trust doesn't mean complete understanding? You ever had a conflict with somebody, maybe a leader, maybe a spouse or a business partner? Maybe somebody around you where you just, the, the bottom line conclusion was, is okay, okay, I'm just going to let go. I'm going to trust. It's all on you now. And maybe in spite with somebody who you know you're right, okay, you do it. I'll follow you. We'll see how this ends. And you let them lead, hoping that it just falls into disaster, so that way you can say, heh <laughs> That's not real trust. Trust is when you say, you know what? I've got some questions, but they don't need to be answered. I've actually got some counsel. I think, I kind of thought we should, I'm gonna keep that to myself. I have some opinions, but I'm choosing to trust you. Right now here, you guys all have opinions. You have some counsel, and you have some thoughts about what you think should have happened in your past. Seriously, right now, if you were to have a mono-imano conversation with God huh, and wait for this day and call you out on what happened back there, <laughs> or, or today you can say, you know what? I, I do have concerns, questions. They're valid. I actually have some pain from back there. But you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust God. That doesn't mean back there in the rearview mirror is awesome. It's actually awful. That hurt a whole bunch. That was really, really tough. God's not telling me it was good, but he's telling me it works together for good. God's not telling me that it was okay, but that it will all be okay. And I'm choosing to trust him. There's so much comfort, so much power in choosing to trust. And by the way, who you choose to trust is very important. Okay? It's very important. God is asking you to trust him today. Okay? And thus far, up until now, he's batting a 1,000. He's doing pretty good and he has no intention of changing his repertoire He has no intention of changing the way he rolls So when he asks for you to trust him look at verse 13 again in him You also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed There's that word. Did you believe him? Yeah, but I got questions. I get it. I get it me, too But his clarifications and declarations are very clear and simple Confess me believe in me and you'll be saved Look to me, trust in me, and I'll work all things together for good. Walk with me, be with me, and I'll use your life and your story and all of its ingredients. I'll use it to glorify myself, expand my kingdom, and bring you great joy. I believe, okay, I believe it. And how many of you guys, as soon as you believe, demand an answer? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I trust you, Lord. Now tell me what's going on. (laughs) Have you seen this? And you begin to counsel the Lord and offer your opinions. trust sets you free trust sets you free look at verse 13 i'll read it again in him you trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed listen you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise when you trust god does something to you he he, he marks you he seals you He gives you the earnest down payment. He gives you a little bit of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, a little bit of the Holy Spirit on earth is a lot of God, just so you know. When God gave himself to you and indwelt you richly, now you have the wealth of heaven inside of you, access to heaven eternally. Look at verse 14, who, the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Two more verses and we're done. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, always father in jesus name as we study your word now we've read it and we're excited about it yet lord we would be fools to approach it with earthly minds you told us to have spiritual minds and so lord we ask for that because spiritually we're broken without you so we ask for spiritual minds now to understand spiritual things Lord, we're living a physical world, a physical life right now, so we pray for a a mingling, Lord, of both heaven and earth, that all things in Christ today, in this room, at this service right now today, would be in Christ one. I pray your mercy upon those who, uh, this is their first time at South Beach or haven't been here in a while, or maybe those who've been in Ephesians, have been studying it, watching it, listening to it, learning it, that all of us would be changed from the inside out because of your power, grace, love, and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that Jesus Christ is the most important person in the world, period. He's the most influential, polarizing figure in all of history, attracting billions to himself, repelling billions to themselves. He and he alone stands alone in history past, history present, and history future as the most influential, provocative character in the world. And Paul, in prison, hated him prior, and now in his life, can't stop talking about him. You ever been around a fanatic? Someone just won't stop talking about the same thing over and over. They won't be deter- diss- dissuaded. They won't stop talking. They won't be discouraged. They'll have comebacks. For Paul was like that about Jesus Christ. He takes his cues from God the Father. Remember God the Father? When Jesus was on the earth, walking in the flesh, God the Father told everyone around him one time, shut up, listen to Jesus, why are you talking so much? Remember Matthew chapter 16. Mark, no, no, not Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, not those guys either. Uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary. No, not those guys either. John, James, and Peter were up on the mountain of transfiguration. And Moses and Elijah showed up, and they're talking with Jesus. And so Peter starts to talk, blah, 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 blah. And God the Father says, stop it. Just listen to Jesus. Did you know that God the Father points to his son and says, it's all about Jesus? Not just God the Father in heaven, but god's son or god's mom mary not just did he have his heavenly father but he had his earthly mom mary we all know mary by the way not much is actually spoken of in the scriptures about mother mary she's actually not in there very much she only has a few speaking lines check this out her very last speaking line ever mary the mother of god her last line ever is hey do whatever my son says and she's done goes off the charts she's rarely mentioned in the book of acts she points all god the father look to jesus Mary, jesus his own mom listen to jesus peter and paul and everyone else after say look to jesus and i would say that to say this it's all about jesus the bible says that in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore it's all about him and not everyone likes that right Not everyone's into that. We all have our own opinions and stuff. Most of you guys are here. Maybe you were dragged here this morning. Maybe you were drugged and brought here and you just woke up. Welcome. (laughs) Most of you are okay with that. It's all about Jesus. I get it. I'm into that. Some of you are still struggling with that reality. The reality is we need to come to that conclusion where we trust him. Remember the story we went through last week in Numbers 21? Where the children of Israel found themselves bitten with a snake bite of sin and they were dying. And the good news came to the camp that there was a snake, a brass serpent in the middle of the camp. And all they had to do was look at it and their lives would be changed, saved. And there were those who said, okay, good news. I'll take it. They believed it. They received it. Other people, though, said, no, I don't want that. And Jesus Christ is that snake and he polarizes people. And some are drawn to it and say, well, you know what? I am bitten by a snake. I have failed. I don't have a lot of hope in my life. There are another portion of humanity, though, that have all kinds of excuses to keep them away from Jesus. Have you found these people? Have you been this person? Okay, lots of excuses to reject Jesus Christ. God the Father said, listen to him. Jesus' own mother, Mary, said, do what he says. Paul here says, it's all about Jesus. Here's the excuses people bring to reject Jesus. Number one is, I was born this way. You, know, you ever seen the bumpers that, bumper sticker that says, uh, born right the first time? You ever, it's a contradiction to the bumper sticker that says born again. And somebody came up with, oh, I was born right the first time. Really? Really? Oh, you've been that good? Yes. No. I don't know. I think I, I feel fine. Get off my back. You know, listen, and people say, I was born this way. I don't need Jesus. They have that inability to humble themselves and say, you know, I'm actually, I'm all messed up. I have actually, I've actually, and I like to ask people just in, in confidence and in, in humility and in conversation is there anything in your life you haven't wrecked? Just a simple question. Is there anything that hasn't actually come to just, you know, real problems? Have you ever brought to the table just full solutions, or are you kind of a mess? People use that uh, rejection of Jesus that they just say, look, I was born this way, therefore I don't need help. Another uh, rejection of Jesus that people justify their own natures, they say, I was raised this way. my parents' fault I was like this. And they were dropped on their heads. They dropped me on my head. We all dropped on our heads. And it, I, I'm like this, but it's not my problem or my fault. It was handed down to me. And I don't want Jesus. I'm just going to live this way. The third rejection that we find where people don't want to look to Jesus, submit to him, and find him as their way, truth, and life. This is the craziest one. Is, is people find themselves, they say, you know what? I'm just like everyone else. I'm, I'm actually not any worse than anybody else. And they use the comparison conclusion, where they look around, and I'm, I'm just as good as most of these people. How many of you guys, uh, when you're in the fast lane on I-5, uh, go over the speed limit because everyone else is too? Okay. 11 of you, the rest are liars, that's all right. <laughs> Welcome to church. And when you're in the fast lane, by the way, if you are ever in the fast lane and you go 65, okay, you need to relinquish your license, you're done. Like that's too slow, you can't be going. And here's the rules. The rules are you're in the fast lane, you go with the flow of traffic, right? Here's the problem is we take that rule, and the flow of traffic in today's culture is right around 120. Okay? 120 in a 65, and we're like, everyone's doing it. You know, 120, like there's a corner coming, no one's breaking. You know. That's careful. And so Jesus comes in and says, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And God the Father says, listen to Jesus and his own moms to do what he says. Yet what he says contradicts who we are naturally, and we just want to justify, no, I was born this way. My parents made me this way. It's not a problem. Until, re- Until you take that corner to 120, it doesn't work. Here's the deal. What God has given to us in Christ changes Everything. It is not just I'm Presbyterian, I'm Nazarene, I'm Calvary Chapel, I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist, I'm Foursquare, I go to church, I celebrate Easter, blah, 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 blah. No, no. Your whole life's been changed. Everything about you is different because of Jesus. And you can go to any one of those denominations. That's fine. It's not about that. It's about him. It's about the wealth. It's about the resources. It's about the declaration of Christ in you. It changes everything about you when you get it. And that's why Paul labors long. That's why we're taking the time to get through Ephesians 1 because we want to get that foundation before we begin to live like God would have us live in chapters 3 through 6, 4 through 6. I just want you guys to get excited about this because, man, we leak, we forget what's important. Look at verse 10. He declares this whole riches, this concept of Christ. He says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Stop right there, eyes up here. This idea of dispensation, dispensation is a big word that literally means time. That in the time, at at this appointed moment, God did what he did through Jesus. Do you know right now that everything that's happening in your life And everything that was happening 2,000 years ago, and everything that was happening 5,000 years ago, every single thing is on God's calendar of wisdom, guidance, and development, and it's happening perfectly. Did you know that? Let me use an illustration. Have you ever seen a business grow, and then maybe develop, and then branch out and franchise, and then get bigger and more successful, and pretty soon it's just, wow, they're really successful. Did you know that that business that grows and develops and branches out and becomes successful only does throw does so through good guidance, wisdom, and leadership. It does so through things being done on purpose. When it says here in verse 10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, that says that God is doing what he's doing right now on purpose. Let me put it this simply. Would it change things in your life today if I were to tell you God knows everything you've ever been through? Would it change anything in your life right now if I were to tell you everything you've actually gone through right now has been calculated and formulated, gone through the father filter and accepted as being redeemable in Christ to actually accomplish his purpose. Every single thing, the way you were born, the way you were raised, the way you didn't get this, the way you did get that, every single thing as God takes heaven and earth and collides them together is actually going to be perfect for what God is making, and you're not going to be disappointed. Some of you think right now that God has no idea what's going on in your life. You're like, well, yeah, he did the cosmos and the stars, and somehow he spans the stars with his hands, but he has no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) Oh, yeah, God can do all this and answer those things and do the miracles we see in here, but God doesn't know what I need, obviously. You need to conclude and believe right now that no, 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 no. God knows what he's doing, and it all makes sense. It's all on purpose. This is part of the wealth of the riches of Christ. Some of you are waiting for that payback right now, that payment, that deposit, you're waiting for your tax return to get e-filed right into your account. You're checking it every day. I need that money. No, just me. Oh. <laughs> and you're doing the same thing with Jesus, waiting for him to make sense of it all, waiting for him to give you some sort of next, and he's already done it. It's already there. All things together. It's called the dispensation Okay? Look at in verse 10 again. It says it here. It says, Then in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That word gather together is a math term. What it means is he's going to take this, and he's going to take this, he's going to take this, and he's going to take this, and he's going to add them all up, and the sum is perfect. Okay? How many guys like math? Raise your hand if you're just a math person. Okay? I don't even know what to tell you. I have no relation to you at all. Math is cool. Okay, math was super cool. I was actually really good at math, and then someone threw the alphabet in with it. What is that? It's mad science. Like, you're done. Keep the letters out of the numbers, okay? I'm just trying to be honest. Here's the thing about math. Let me tell you about math real quick. Okay, math is awesome because it's solid. Okay, math is awesome because it doesn't need your opinion or your counsel. Did you know that? Math is awesome because it doesn't actually matter what you think at all. It's right, you're wrong. I mean, does anyone argue? Two plus two is four, okay? Whether you're upside down, looking at it this way or that way, whether you're... It doesn't matter how you look at it. It's the same. It does... When he says this term, God gathers everything together. It's a a math term. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to actually add everything up, and it's going to work out. It's actually going to make perfect sense in Christ, standalone numbers, standalone situations, you might have an opinion, you might have some counsel for God. I'll tell you a little bit about what I think. Math doesn't need your help though. Math always works out. And God's given to us math and numbers and equations and formulas on purpose. He invented that by the way. He invented music and notes and melodies. He invented all those are perfect too by the way. They're perfect in composition. God made that as an illustration of his magnitude and his person. So, that being said, a lot of people reject Jesus. They just don't like him. They don't, want, they don't want anything to do with him. And they have these opinions. But he has proven himself to be accurate, to be perfect, to be full, to have everything that we need. And here's the deal. You might protest and say, well, I, don't, I just don't like it. I don't. You say that to your math teacher next time. Okay, I don't like I don't like this equation, and I don't like the sum. I just don't like it. <laughs> okay, well guess what? You gotta learn it. You gotta understand it. It's true. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. And there's people that look at God and say, Well, I don't like this about you. I don't like this about that, and that's understandable. But it doesn't change the bottom line truth. When you're learning to drive a vehicle, you know, most people learn in an automatic. Okay, an automatic's like a big go kart with doors and, and insurance. Okay, it's the only difference. And you're driving this go kart and you step on the gas and it goes and you hit something and get in trouble. You know, when you move into driving a manual transmission vehicle, okay, the rules change, don't they? And what if you who drove in an automatic, you just push the gas pedal and go? What if you just said, you know, I don't want to do it this way. I'm just going to keep pushing this gas pedal in this manual transmission vehicle. What would that be like? you're going nowhere, making noise, looking foolish, burning gas. And you might just say, well, I don't like this whole stick shift thing. The clutch and the stick, you know, and it's like adding letters to math. It's just too much. And so maybe you're like, okay, okay, I'll compromise. I'm not going to use the clutch, but I'll use the stick. I'm just going to shove it into first and... Right? You got to do it the way it was designed to do. And there's people that look at God and say, well, I don't, I'm just going to do it my way. <laughs> and God said, and I'll tell you what, when you find out that God is supreme, that God is right, that God knows best, what God has done for you, God loves you. It's his pleasure to reveal this. In the fullness of the dispensation of time, I'm going to make it all work. And you might say, I don't get it right now. It doesn't, I don't understand. That's where trust comes in. You choose to trust him you choose to believe in him. Now, again, just get this. It's his joy to reveal it to you. He, he is so full of love. He said, like, I don't want you to miss this. I'm going to give you the manual, okay? I'm going to take you to the DMV. I'm going to teach you to drive this thing. I'm going to show you how it works. I'll pay for your education. I'll do it all. I'll teach you them out. Do it all. In theology, theology, by the way, is the study of God, theos and ology, theology, the study of God. You're all theologians, by the way, each and every single one of you, okay? Just so you know, you're a theologian. Hopefully, your theology is correct. Here's the reality, though. In theology, there's two categories, cat theology and dog theology, Okay? Let's say there's a master who has a cat and a dog, and the master comes home from work every day, and he treats his cat and his dog great, and it's a great house, and he gives them great food, and he speaks to them, and he touches them, and pets them, and lets them crawl around. And he just blesses them, and he takes them to the pet spa, and gives them pedicures, and you know, it's funny. And he gives, them, he gives them, you know, he's a good master, cat theology and dog theology. The cat walks around the house and says, wow, I get treated so well by my master. I must be something special. You guys have cats, right? Do you know that cats are the only domesticated animal not mentioned in the Bible? Do you know that the Bible says Satan is like a cat? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. 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 Now I'm back on track. Okay. The cat thinks it's all about me. I get treated so well because I'm well. The dog, the dog looks at his master and the dog says, my master treats me so well. My master must be the best master in the world. Do you guys, do you guys have a dog? Okay. You see this. Your dog loves you. Even if you don't love your dog back, your dog loves you. We have a dog in my house and I don't love it. Don't tell my kids. Okay. They're always asking me questions about my dog. Dad, are you going to get rid of our dog? I'm like, no. Can, can I? No. <laughs> Let me tell you about my dog, though. This beagle, she's two years old. She's a great dog. She gets the least amount of attention in my house of anybody from me. The least amount. I give the dishes more attention than I do this dog, okay? Lo- this dog's there. I, I take care of it. This dog loves me. <laughs> no one in the house has as much respect from this dog besides me. And here's the deal. It's because, I don't know why it is, but this idea of who God is, and when we look at God, we want to have that kind of conclusion. He's so good that he would give me the wealth, the riches, that he would include me, that he would bless me. I'm nothing. I'm nothing, and yet I'm included, and he loves me because he is love, okay? He's given to us this, Dispensation, this control, this order, and he's gathered up all things. Your conclusion today is your conclusion. How are you going to respond to God? Okay, he's revealed the mystery to us because he's awesome, he's so kind and generous, and he wants you to be a partaker in it. He's invited you today to church. You're here not on accident, but on purpose. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, don't don't stop there. Keep reading. In verse 11, he says there's more in Christ. It says, in him also we have attained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Stop right there. Eyes up here. This word inheritance comes in now. It's an interesting biblical word. And it speaks of what God has given to us, what we look forward to when we see Christ in the full. There's an inheritance, and you all know what an inheritance is, right? It's a, a family fortune passed down from a family member. Somebody has a fortune and either passes away or includes you into the inheritance, and then you participate in who they are. Okay? When you got married, you married into your inheritance. When my wife and I got married, she married into my debt. Welcome to the family, honey. <laughs> you know, a little different there. When we got married to Christ, you became one who gets equal heir with the inheritance of Christ. Now, an inheritance changes everything, doesn't it? In 2010, this family approached my wife and I. We were living in Ashland, super happy, just loving life. I was an associate pastor at a church there, and we were, we were contemplating uh, what God had next for us. And in that, she said to me one day, she said, Luke, I think God wants you guys to buy a house. And I said, i mean going to buy a house because I didn't think God wanted us to buy a house. We were happy renters, been married 10 years, and just, we had no intention to buy a house. And so what she brought to the table was foreign. She said, well, just start looking. Just start looking for a house. And I wasn't going to look for a house. I didn't want a house. We were happy. Everything was good. A month later, she came back from Portland to Ashland. She said, did you find a house? I said, I didn't even know. I didn't look. I'm not really interested in looking for a house. It's not, we're just not going to do that. She said, well, let me tell you what's going on. She said, up in Canby, up in Portland area, we have this going on, and we're going to come into some money, and, and we just decided as a family, we've got five kids, and we're, we're going to get this, this inheritance, and we just want to, we actually want to give it to the Frechette family as their down payment for their house. I was on Realtor.com in seconds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. That changes everything, everything, and when you know you have an inheritance coming, when you know there's going to be some help for you, when you... Oh, How many of you right now are just grinding it out, trying to figure life out, and just scared and worried and overwhelmed, and you're not rich, and you act like you're on welfare spiritually, and God has said to you in Ephesians 1 through 13, 1 through 15, God's given to you all this. You have an inheritance, man. There's stuff in heaven. By the way, did you know this, that not only is there an inheritance that has been given to you, but there's an opportunity for savings given to you as well? Did you know that you can... Look towards the latter part of your physical life, either through an inheritance given to you. It's not everyone's, everyone's fortune, but you can also save for your retirement, can't you? It's, it's a viable thing. Did you know that in the scriptures, the Bible says that whatever you do for God actually puts forward an eternal investment into your account? Whatever you do for God is going to count for eternity. Not only do we have an inheritance that you can't even really understand, it's so big and so vast and so wealthy and it's yours, but everything you do for Jesus right now counts for eternity. He's given you an opportunity. Every every time you go to your life group and and pray for somebody, every time you volunteer in Sunday school, every time you show up to church and just worship and are nice to somebody, or give somebody a ride to church or write your check or do what you do for Jesus, I guarantee you, okay, you've made an eternal investment into your eternity with him. It changes everything just to have that security in what God has declared for you and for me, okay? Uh, And it's, who's this for? Look at verse 11 again. In him... Also, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted, the inheritance is for those who trust. It's for those who believe, those who would say, yeah, right on. I'm going to live rich, and I'm going to die rich, okay? I'm going to live rich, and I'm going to die rich, and that's how my life is going to be defined, because I trust in God. I trust in what he's done. He's paid for my sins, past, present, and future, and he's provided for my needs eternally and temporally. Um, Look at verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I've asked this question a number of times, I'm going to ask it again, how many of you guys just really enjoy being lied to? Like you just kind of look for people that are going to lie to you and take advantage of you, like you just, just, you know, just tell me the lies, you know, when you go to the doctor, you're like, hey, can you just like kind of just give me somebody else's report? Makes me feel better. You know, don't tell me how I'm doing. Tell me how somebody else is doing. Make sure they're good, though. You know? just lie. Nobody likes to be lied to. As a matter of fact, there's something in our knower. Even if we don't like the truth, we still want it. If somebody says, I got some really bad news. Tell me now. Now. You, know, you want to know, because then you can understand what you're dealing with. Look at verse 13. It says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. It wasn't the word of lies it okay, wasn't the word of ideas and opinions. You heard the truth. And the truth is, he saves and you suck. <laughs> Argue with me later, not now. That's the truth. And when you heard that, and there's no sugar on that, is there? Well, I've just, um, I've had a bad day. No, no. We're, the Bible says that even our good days, okay, Isaiah 55, even our good days are to God the worst filth you can imagine. Did you hear that? Did you hear? I want to make sure you heard that, religious person. The Bible says your best day that you can bring forth, the best effort to him is like recycled garbage, okay? Because it's not about you. It's about our master. It's about him. He's not looking for you to improve or to be better. He's looking for you to trust in him, trust in him to be the salvation and to be your only way in. How are you getting into heaven? Well, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> How are you going to move forward? I got some steps. It's by Christ and Christ alone. Read Ephesians 2 again, like I just read at the beginning of worship. It's by grace you've been saved. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he breathed life into us. When you hear that and trust it, it changes everything. Until you trust it, you've even heard it this morning. You might not believe it, okay? You're still living in your own stuff then. I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again. Back in 2004, 2005, I was living in Ashland, and Eddie Townsend had recently just come to the Lord, and we were good friends at the time, and he was single, kind of crazy. Now he's married and still crazy, but anyways, he was single and crazy, and he said, oh, wild gooses have an open mic tonight. It's this wild, crazy bar, smoking, drinking, nutsy. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm like, okay. Like, Technically, I was there when you got saved. I should probably be there when you die, so I'll go. And uh, so we all went, and there's like seven Christians sitting at this table drinking water and eating crackers. Like, what are we doing here, you know? And, and uh, it was Eddie's turn, and the guy got up to share, the guy, the MC, and he said, It's open mic night at this bar. We do anything goes. So I don't know what's going to happen next, but this guy, Eddie Townsend, is going to say something. So, hey, we welcome everybody. Welcome him too. And I'm like, Okay, this clap's going to be taken back real quick. And everyone claps, and Eddie gets up. And I'm sitting like this, looking at Eddie, and I've identified all the exits in the building so I know how we can leave. <laughs> I was like, okay, I know how we can get out of here quick if I have to. Like, I'll grab them. I know, I know where I parked, and I know I can fight my way out of this thing. And Eddie takes his Bible, and he opens it up, and he says, you all have heard of the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God. You've all heard of God. God loves you, for God's so And He begins this whole message on God's love and kindness and grace. Now, this guy sitting next to me, right to my right, has his back to me. He's been, had, had seven or eight more, two more beers than he should have. And he begins to mock and ridicule Eddie, at least in my ear, and then yelling, he's like, shut up, <laughs> shut up. And he begins to mock him. And I'm thinking, okay, this is the first guy who's going to throw a punch at me. Here's what's going to happen. And Eddie begins to, here's what happened, true story. Eddie says, you guys have all heard of the goodness, kindness, and grace of God. He said, well, I'm here tonight to tell you the other side of the coin. He said, that's true. God is full of grace, kindness, and love, but there will be a day. And he goes on to then talk about the white throne judgment seat. Now, it's at that point, I'm like, I'm just going to leave early. I'll just go ahead and leave early. I thought it was going to be a message of grace, kindness, and love. And Eddie's like, no, no, there's two sides of the coin. God's wrath is coming. God's going to call everyone on their accounts. Every single sin done in secret and in public will be called to account, and the balances and the scales will be brought on. He begins to preach this message. And as he's preaching the truth, he then concludes saying, and the only way to escape this is to give your life to Jesus Christ, is to have hope in him and in him alone to trust in Jesus. And as he's saying this and landing the plane and pulling the message full circle, this guy on my right began to nod to himself and to his table and agree and to say, yep, what he's saying is true. It's, it's true. The only way And you could tell the whole count. Cal- and when Eddie was done, everyone clapped and agreed with what he had said. It's the word of truth. That yes, God is full of grace, kindness, love, and mercy. We want to believe in a good God, but here's the bottom line. is if we haven't trusted in him, there will be no inheritance for you, okay? There will be judgment and separation, and it's only through Jesus Christ that you find yourself escaping judgment and receiving the inheritance. And I don't want anybody lying to my kids ever, telling them a false gospel or lying to you. And God doesn't want anybody lying to his kids, telling people a false gospel It's all, when God the Father said, listen to Jesus, and Mary said, listen to Jesus, and Paul says, listen to Jesus, it's on purpose. Let me just ask you a very quick question, we're going to get to worship in a minute. Verse 13, it says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Who do you trust? You're the church. It's pretty easy to ask that question. Next time you're talking with your secular friend or your wanton thinker, just say, who are you you trusting in? Most of them will say myself, or at least some some variation of myself. I'm trusting that what I've done and who I am, and I'm trusting in myself is what they'll say. Let's just be honest, okay? Who in here has been let down by yourself ever before? (laughs) Who in here has been more disappointed with anyone in the entire world by yourself? You're the most faithless person you've ever met. I mean, it is bizarre. How faithless you have been, because you know best. You've hidden it real well from the rest of us, we understand. <laughs> but you know, man, you are so funny. And yet we trust in ourselves. Ask that question. Who do you trust? Bob Dylan was the one who asked the question first. He said, "You've got to serve somebody. It doesn't matter who you are. You might be the king, you might be a pauper, you've got to serve somebody." And ask that question. Who, a lot of people will then say, "Well, yeah, maybe not myself, good point, but you know what I serve. You know I trust. I trust science. I trust science. science. Listen. Science doesn't do anything. All science does is observe what God is doing. Do you understand that? All science does is explore, study, and learn what God is doing. God was there first. God's doing it. Science just shows it, okay? People say, I trust in science, man. Is science going to take us to the next level. Listen, God is that level that science is studying. It's all God. Some people might say it this way. You know who I trust? This is a small group, by the way. Real small group. Real. Some people say, I trust the government. <laughs> They're out there somewhere, somebody like, oh yeah, they're going to do it. No, they're not going to do it. Some people say, you know what I trust? I trust uh, other ways of thinking, other religions. And I just say this, what, what do you, who do you look to? I look to Buddha. I study Buddhism. Oh really, Buddha? You mean, you mean Buddha, the guy that left his wife and his kids to survive on their own, who ultimately died and starved to death so he could go find nirvana? Like that's, that's your leader? That's the one? Okay, that's, I, I wouldn't trust him. Oh, I trust Muhammad. Muhammad is who I trust. Oh, Muhammad, the one who took little girls to be his wives? Who, who did that historically? We know that to be a fact. Like, that's the guy you're going to go after? Or anybody, or any other religion, any other person, yourself, myself included. Science, Jesus. It's Jesus. Verse 13 says it this When you heard the word of truth and you trusted and believed... When that happens for a person, and we're almost done, when that happened to you, the Bible says in verse 14, look at verse 14, it says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? It says in verse 13, the end, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This word guarantee is earnest down. It's only mentioned in the Bible four times in the New Testament. This word guarantee, it doesn't come up anywhere else. And when it's mentioned, it's mentioned of the Holy Spirit every time as to what happens when a believer hears and believes and trusts in the Bible. Here's what it says happens. It says that when you hear the word and when you believe, God gives to you a portion of himself and he seals you with that portion. It would be like this. If I wanted to buy your land from you and it was a million dollars and I said, you know what? I'm serious about this. I have great intentions. Here's $100,000, no money back. It's yours to keep. This guarantees that I'll give you the rest of the money, the full possession price. I'll do it later, but it's mine now. Take it off the market, put my seal on it. And when you believed in Jesus here on earth with the eyes of faith, we're living life, aren't you? You guys living life with me? It's hardcore, right? When you decided to believe, you still had questions, you still had opinions, and you still had counsel for God. But you said, you know what? I'm probably, I'm probably wrong, so I'm just gonna go ahead and trust you. I got questions, but I'm gonna put my hand up slow. And I'm going to trust you. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit moved inside of you and took residence, and he took precedence, and he's inside of you right now. And when the world sees you, when Satan sees you, when God sees you, he understands. As a matter of fact, in Roman times, when a person would buy cargo, put it on a ship, and send it to another port, he would seal it with his stamp. That is, he would have wax and a seal. And then we went to the other port, he would see cargo and say, that's mine. That's Mine. 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 Mine, 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 mine. And when he sees his seal on you, he knows you're mine. No one can touch you. You're mine because he's got my imprint on you. Did you know that in order to imprint that wax, it had to be soft? Okay. You, you try and imprint wax that's hard, it's just not going to work. And when you soften your heart towards the Lord, that's all you got to do today. You got questions? Me too. Got problems? Mm-hmm. You got problems? Mm hmm. You got what? have shoulda, coulda's? By the dozens. When you soften your heart to the Lord and Say God would you just I, I trust you Like that man in the bar Who wasn't living his life the right way But he heard the word and said That's true That's true It's all Jesus It's all Jesus You then are sealed with the Holy Spirit I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads And close your eyes As the band comes up And we respond by worshiping Father, <laughs> we don't know what else to do except come to you. And even some of us today have come to you with hardened hearts. But I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that the water of the word of God would soften those hearts, that the spirit of God, Lord, would massage our hearts and make us pliable, Lord, make us receive you and hear you. Lord, you said that when we hear, when we believe, then we're sealed. And I pray that every single brother, every single sister here this morning would be sealed. Because of what you have done in them. That there would be a full submission. That there would be no more war. No more wandering. No more wondering. But today there would be trust. And before we even take this communion to celebrate what you've done. I'm going to ask that question. If there's anybody here today that would say, you know what? I do have trust issues. I I have been trusting in myself. I've been hoping in science. I've been looking to the government. I've considered Buddhism. I've gone down this road. I'm hoping for something to come up. And I'm here today to say, you know what? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. His father was yelling it. His mother was pointing to it. Paul was telling us to do more and more and more thinking about Jesus. And today I just conclude in my heart, I still have my opinions. I still got questions. I still got sin. But I give it all to Jesus. And I'm going to trust that what God is going to do in the future, he's going to summarize it all. He's going to add all things together. I've got an inheritance that I can attain. I've got a savings I can invest in. I've got all things in Christ. And if today you want to make sure that that is your fortune, that that is your future, that that is your present, would you just raise your hand right now as a softened heart individual and say, Lord, seal me. Put your seal on me. Seal it right now. I believe and I receive. Raise your hand right now. Believe and receive what Jesus has declared. Holy Spirit, I pray you would seal those individuals who have that soft heart right now. To just say, yeah, you know what? I'm, I've made some mistakes. I don't know it all. I'm going to die one day, and I want to die right. You're going to die one day. You know that? You could have an inheritance waiting for you. Just raise your hand right now and say, yes, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live right. Help me to live full. Help me to trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me of my sins for predestining me to go to heaven with you, for calling me your own. Jesus, I pray for us, the body here, those who were saved when they got here, those who just got saved now, Lord, that we would be equipped thoroughly, Lord, for every good work that you would go with us, Lord. And we commune now at the table. We celebrate what you've done, examining ourselves, finding ourselves to be the ones needing to be saved, proclaiming your death until you come. We do all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand? And when you're ready to take communion, come down the center aisles and take your elements out to the side aisles, back to your chairs, and celebrate what the Lord has done. The body broken for you, the blood spilled for you. Celebrate what he has already done. The tables are open. There'll be people on my right and left to pray for you during this time as well.